Sam Bankman-Fried's fraud trial starts today in New York and is likely to cast a spotlight not only on the former crypto golden boy, but also on the broader crypto industry. Hi everyone, I'm Rosemarie Miller here with Stephen Ehrlich, the director of Forbes Digital Assets. Thank you so much for joining me today, Steve. Yeah, thanks, Rosemary. Absolutely. So, Steve, remind us, what is Sam Bankman-Fried on trial for? Um, to put it bluntly, Sam Bankman-Fried is on trial for running one of the biggest financial frauds in history. Um, in a 13-count indictment, he's going to be defending himself uh, against charges that um, he did everything from stealing customer funds to using those illicit pro proceeds to engage in illegal campaign finance, excuse me, um, illegal campaign um, finance donations. And, uh, and and the world is kind of waiting with bated breath to see what will happen here uh, for a couple of reasons. One, um, this trial has, uh, has has garnered worldwide attention. I mean, not his stratospheric rise, which we've chronicled in Forbes, and then the, the sudden uh, descent and collapse of his empire. Um, the fact that when this happened in November of last year, his picture was uh, plastered across uh, newspapers and, and um, and, and news stations and TV outlets and late night comedy uh, shows uh, all across the world. And, and people want to see what's going to happen to him. Is he going to spend the rest of his life in jail? He's looking at more than 100 years in prison time if he's convicted on all accounts and he doesn't, he's not allowed to um, serve uh, concurrent sentences. Um, but at the same point, too, I, I know that some folks, myself included, are looking at the trial as a way of perhaps trying to find out exactly what happened at FTX. There's been lots of rumors. There's been lots of news that's come out. There's been leaks. Um, I have spoken with Sam on multiple occasions. I've, I even went out to his house to visit him when he was on house arrest um, past winter. And uh, there, there's so many different narratives out there. I mean, there's, there's his side where he says that uh, he, quote unquote, fucked up. But at the same point, um, he wasn't doing anything um, malicious or ha he had no criminal intent. Obviously, um, the government has a much different perspective on this. And I, I don't know if um, the, the truth is always probably somewhere in the middle. It doesn't mean it's exactly in the middle. Um, virtually everyone I speak to assumes he's going to be going to jail for, for a very long time. But, but at the same point, uh, the purpose of a court, the purpose of a trial is to kind of lay out the facts dispassionately, question the witnesses and find out exactly what happened. So that's what I'm, I guess I'm most looking forward to about this trial and not necessarily the, the tawdry details of what Sam Bankman-Fried's fate is going to be. But what exactly is Sam Bankman-Fried's defense for what happened? His, his defense, it comes again, it boils down to he messed up. Um, I'm not going to use that the profane word again, but he was not <laughs> knowingly trying to steal customer funds. I mean, I mean that that's that's the crux of it. And and then I mean through conversations I've had with him, and, and I received the same data dump of documents that the New York Times published, and another and CoinDesk and other outlets are publishing now too, where he kind of creates spreadsheets from from what he calls his memory, and sort of points out how up until the very end. Alameda Research, which was kind of the sister hedge fund to FTX that we found out had virtually an unlimited line of credit to borrow customer funds from FTX to engage in um, leverage trading. Uh, they were they were solvent up until kind of the very end. And his contention really is that 
uh, Chang Peng Zhao, the, the founder and CEO of Binance, who um, Binance is the largest crypto exchange in the world and actually was Alameda, um, excuse me, FTX's first investor, more or less orchestrated a run on FTT, which is kind of an exchange token that is not stock, but trades like or traded like stock in FTX, and then a bunch of other tokens that uh, were closely affiliated with SAM and to which Alameda Research was highly leveraged in. And so kind of what he says is that absent what he sees as an acute run on tokens closely associated with his empire, he would have been okay. Um, I mean, that's that's one part of it. We can get into other things too, like he's blaming his lawyers for giving him bad advice. And um, and, uh, and and he even says too, and, and he kind of told this to me on multiple occasions, he didn't think that FTX had to shut down. Um, he uh, said that right up until the point where he resigned as CEO, he was getting funding offers and then billions of dollars. I can now report that that big funding offer came from Justin Sun, um, who's a controversial figure in his own right, founded Tron, and is right now also being sued by the SEC for um, for uh, the issuance of unregistered securities. And uh, and he says that there were other like nine-figure funding deals that were coming through um, even after he resigned. So he also says, aside from his defense, that he didn't knowingly do anything wrong, he says that he's very <clears throat> critical of the current leadership um, which he dis, uh, where he disagrees with the path that they're going and thinks that the exchange could have been could have remained solvent, could have stayed open, and could have helped make customers whole, as opposed to going through this arduous uh, bankruptcy process. Can he actually say anything about leadership? Wasn't it his ex girlfriend Caroline Ellison, if I if I recall, who was running Alameda Research? So what what's actually going on with his inner circle or his former inner circle? Are they still standing by him? No, I mean, they're 100% certainly not standing by him. In fact, um, as you said, his, um, his I guess, reported um, ex-girlfriend, Carolyn Ellison, who uh, he brought with him to Alameda and then eventually made a CEO, has pleaded guilty to similar charges and will be testifying against him in court, um, as will his um, chief technology officer, uh, former chief technology officer who built most of the code used to run FTX, Nishad Singh. He's also going to be testifying against him in, in court as as another cooperating witness. So uh, his inner circle is definitely not standing by him. In fact, um, I think the only two people right now who are standing by him besides his lawyers are his parents who are also facing their own their own jeopardy. Uh, but I mean, you, you kind of hit on a really important point that uh, was something that we have been trying to nail down for a while too. Um, when Sam Bankman-Fried first got involved in crypto, it wasn't at FTX. I mean, there's been so much about him that people can forget, but it began um, with Alameda Research, which was basically a proprietary trading firm that he created first in California, then moved it to Hong Kong, where he basically engaged in um, arbitraging Bitcoin. And, um, and then basically he kind of came to the realization around 2018, 2019, that he can make a lot more money if you run the exchange as opposed to the trading fund that was sending all of this traffic to an exchange and, and taking money from them. So he created FTX and he says that he, uh, he, he says that he basically handed off day-to-day -day control of Alameda to, um, to Carolyn and, and, and another individual named Sam Trabuco. And I guess he just hoped that everybody would take him at his word that he wasn't engaging in any real oversight of Alameda. And that the, despite the fact that he was the beneficial owner of Alameda, I think he owned 
something about 90% of it, he wasn't making decisions for them because that would um, uh, be unethical in the United States. That would be illegal. There's a reason why the New York Stock Exchange does not engage in a hedge fund, in a, does not own a hedge fund because that would create massive conflicts or potential conflicts of interest. And uh, but we always wondered how disassociated he truly was from from Alameda. And uh, and one of the things that also came out in a lot of those documents that we can now report is that he actually knew quite a bit about what was going on there. And he implored Carolyn many times in 2022 to hedge Alameda's positions. Uh, so that obviously meant that he had to know what those positions were. And and he knew that in a market like 2022, when prices were, were going down, liquidations were happening and he was going around saying that he had a million dollars out there to rescue startups. Um, he wanted Alameda to protect the downside. Carolyn seemed to be uh, resistant to that for, for a while, and it's unsure or it's unclear whether or not, most likely not, this hedging would have worked given how leveraged Alameda was, especially on a few particular tokens. But that just points out that he really kind of knew what Alameda was doing and that he kind of felt like he was able to play by his own set of rules. Okay, well, Steve, I want to go back a little bit to you bringing up that SBF really only has his parents on his side, and now they're mm -hmm. facing their own legal troubles. What exactly are they being accused of? So I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, Rosemary, because her par his parents are, are playing a big role in all of this. Again, aside from um, letting him stay at their house and, and, and being um, some of his only moral support remaining, um, as has been documented by us and plenty of other publications. Uh, his parents, he grew up in a very wealthy intellectual household. Both of his parents are, um, are or were Stanford law professors. Uh, his mother actually retired before all this happened. I don't think his father has actually retired, although it's hard to imagine that he's going to go back and, and teach anytime soon. But um, there were always questions about how involved his parents actually were in the business and, and therefore what degree of culpability they also may or may not have as, as part of it. Um, based on um, my reporting and, and conversations with people familiar with their parents' thoughts, I mean, they always sort of backed up Sam. They felt that he was an honorable, honest, uh, trustworthy, earnest person. Uh, his mother always seemed to, um, it always appeared that his mother was not involved in the business at all and that the father was perhaps involved in some some charity and, and, and especially when things really went bad last um, last November um, they were down there kind of helping him out but but there was always this perception that maybe they weren't very involved in the business and if any of them were the father perhaps just because of his expertise in in, in tax could kind of help run what was a very complicated business however a couple of weeks ago um, FTX um, the, the new leadership under John Ray filed a clawback suit where they're trying to recover millions of dollars from from the uh, from the parents, claiming that they were they were ill-gotten. And um, and and this lawsuit, uh, for anybody that has not had a chance to read it, is is pretty damning. It goes into a lot of detail about how the father um, helped provide tax strategies to them, was was involved in in aspects of the business beyond just beyond just taxing. Um, there's actually kind of one salacious detail in there where. Um, the father was upset he was only getting paid $200,000 a year instead of a million dollars and was trying to, to, to get a raise on the on the mother's side. Um, there are allegations in it that she was kind of directing FTX funds into a political action committee that 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 she founded 
So there was a lot there. I mean, my initial perception of this, and again, I'm not a lawyer, is that if any of this is true, uh, criminal charges may not be that far behind. So uh, obviously part of, I mean, aside from regardless of um, their thoughts on what exactly uh, Sam Bankman-Fried did, uh, parents are always going to, to love their children. Um, there's also a question of whether or not as they're trying to help defend Sam, they're also worried a little bit about their own fates. Mm-hmm. Well, Steve, let's switch gears a little bit and go into the market side. How has the crypto markets, how has it recovered since the fall of FTX? So when FTX collapsed in November of 2022, that was kind of the, the, the cherry on the top of the Sunday that was this crypto winter. Uh, kind of forgive me for the the, the tortured metaphor here but uh, i mean bitcoin dropped uh, i would say about like another 27 percent or so after ftx collapsed um on its like kind of like bottoming out i think somewhere around fifteen thousand or so after it had been as high as 69 70,000 in november 2021 so just 12 months ago um however the, the market has pretty much recovered from from the ftx collapse um, it still weighs off from the 2022 collapse where, uh, I, I mean, I think somewhere close to $2 trillion worth of value was was wiped off of the, the total crypto market cap. But it's kind of, I guess, recovered from the FTX um, bottoming out, which also sort of led to the bankruptcy and closure of a bunch of market makers and just overall liquidity in the ecosystem. But a question I'm getting a lot and um, and I think sort of this is where you're going, Rosemary, is just trying to figure out, like, what does this mean next for for crypto? Um, like, where does it go from here? We're about 11 months now since this happened. And, um, and, and for the most part, I think the industry is still trying to figure out its way forward. I mean, it's still looking for those killer apps. It's still looking for those use cases. I mean, right now, I think an argument could be made that the best use case for crypto is... Uh, or the most successful application for crypto is stable coins. And, and those are controversial in and of their own right. And uh, I, I think one of the things that kind of casts all this in stark relief is the is sort of the um, explosion of AI and large language models and like, like Chad GPT that just exploded. They really kind of came to prominence around the time that Sam Bankman-Fried's empire collapsed. And we can only see that we've been following this year, how much those companies have grown, how the stock prices have Nvidia, Nvidia, and any other firm, even tangen- even tangential to AI, is continuing to surge. And meanwhile, crypto is still kind of moving along, trying to get regulatory clarity, trying to find those product market fits, and and trying to push back against narratives that um, trying to push back against narratives that it's it's really just a tool for speculators and charlatans and and the like. Now, that's not exactly a fair analogy, I don't think, because AI has actually been around in has been developed for much longer than Bitcoin and cryptocurrency has. I mean, AI has gone back decades. Um, crypto is still only about 15 years old, which I guess is still relatively young. And and there's a lot of regulations because it touches on finance that have to be handled right away, as opposed to something like AI that I think can kind of have a bit more freedom to to move. But like those are the consequential questions that we're, we're looking for right now. And um, the one thing I also think so we're still trying to find answers to that. And uh, but the other thing I, that I really want to caution or make listeners think about is wondering, I'm, I'm concerned that the further we get away from FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried, the more we're going to see the same types of issues come up again that led to 
the collapse of FTX and Celsius and Voyager and BlockFi and Genesis Global Trading and so on and so forth, which is basically all these levered up firms with poor risk management that um, engage in these incestuous marketplaces that whose fates are all tied together. Um, I mean, we've heard this both or as me over the last few years from, from influencers like saying, like, this time it's different. Crypto is different. Crypto doesn't necessarily have to abide by the same laws of finance that the rest of the, the markets have to. And I actually saw a quote from Peter Smith, a uh, CEO of um, a, a pretty um, veteran crypto company called blockchain.com, um, give at a conference a couple of weeks ago where he said that um, he doesn't think that leverage and and um, and uh, and credit like this, like unsecured credit like this is going to happen again. And I kind of snickered and laughed when I heard it because there's no way that, that that's not going to happen again. Um, as soon as the market recovers, uh, people start feeling good again. They think the, mar- the prices are only going to go up. Everything's going to be great. It's going to happen again because someone's going to try and push the envelope. And then we're going to be right back here. And I don't necessarily want to see that happen. I, I want to see clear regulations so that crypto companies know exactly what rules they have to abide by and they can fight on an even playing field to try to find mark the, that product market fit that they want to have so badly. Thank you so much for joining me today, Steve. Great. Thanks, Rosemary.